Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So the ceasefire grows. Uh, No, I'm not a fan of this at all. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you guys. Find everything at TonyKatz.com, T-O-N-Y-K-A-T-Z. It's an agreement to extend the ceasefire by two days. This, according to the Qatar or Qatar Foreign Ministry. Uh, As I hear the story, Hamas wanted this. Well, of course they do. This is exactly the problem. They're going to use this time to recoup. They're going to use this time to rebuild. They're going to use this time to attack, to find ways to attack and destroy. Israelis have to know this. This is the part that creates frustration, but you're like, I got to believe they know what they're doing. I have to believe that. And so they know what's going to go on. I had this conversation with Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. They got to have an idea that they know what uh, they're going to do, what Hamas is going to do. Israel knows how they're going to move, where they're at, and they feel that they can stay on top of this. Because this is not over. Hamas wants Israel destroyed. They're not going to stop at doing so. But they can get 10 more hostages for each day of the truce, of the ceasefire. Israel wants their people. Never forget that the Israelis are part of Western civilization and the people of Hamas are despicable, murderous monsters. Now, that's considered so rude, Tony. I'm talking about Hamas. I'm not talking about the people of Gaza. People of Gaza are absolutely suffering. But I do not believe what it is that I am told by the Gaza Health Ministry because that's run by Hamas. And I know that uh, Joe Biden said that he didn't believe it. And then, oh, how, how that was so wrong of me to say. And, oh, I'm so very sorry. I shouldn't have doubted the number. Doubt the number. It's Hamas. They lie. This is who they are. This is what they do. I mean, I'll give at least uh, credit uh, to Joe Biden saying that Hamas should not control any part of Gaza. Well, look, you know, the deal calls for for every for every 10 hostages released to extend another day. So I'm hopeful this is not the end. It's going to continue. But we don't know. And uh, but I get a sense that um, all the players in the region, even the neighbors who aren't and have been directly involved now, we're looking for a way to end this so the hostages are all released and Hamas is is completely, uh, how can I say it, no longer in control of any portion of Gaza. Now, I'm in favor of Hamas not controlling any portion of Gaza. This was a conversation a couple of weeks ago where Israel said, well, we would take care of things and then we would figure out how to have another government uh, make it happen. And people are like, no, 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 Israel can't control any part of this. Well, what do you think is going to happen? How do you think this works? Is the U.S. going to do it? I should trust the U.N.? But Hamas cannot control any other part of Gaza. If you're saying that, you're calling for the elimination of Hamas. This is a good thing. So why would you? Why would you then say, you know, shame on me for not listening to their numbers? They can't be trusted. No part of them can be trusted. So you were, of course, 
accurate, not to trust their numbers. Then again, this is the same Joe Biden who actually stated this. I'm hearing a lot, but I'm not going to speak to it right now. There's an overwhelming desire on the part of the region to let me back up. I cannot prove what I'm about to say. But I believe one of the reasons why Hamas struck when they did was they knew that I was working very closely with the Saudis and others in the region to bring peace to the region by having recognition of Israel and Israel's right to exist. Joe Biden was bringing peace to the region? How could he have time to do that considering all the time he spent saving our economy and, of course, protecting our southern border and keeping us safe from gas stoves? What is he talking about? You mean the Abraham Accords? You mean that thing Trump did? You were bringing peace, Joe Biden? It is gross on gross on gross. There's no, there's no understanding of, of how he is allowed to say the things he says sometimes and how people vote for it. That really, of course, is the big one. How people vote for it. The ceasefire going to continue. I'm not a, not a fan at, at, at all. We'll have more on this, but I wanted to get to this story out of Indiana. This is... Um, The Washington Post reporting and the IBJ had the story, the Indianapolis Business Journal. It's a story of of a guy who worked at an Amazon distribution center in Fort Wayne. And uh, there was a jam on an overhead package conveyor. And he was there to go fix it. He was in an elevated lift. His head hits the conveyor and became trapped by the machinery. He died of what's being referred to as blunt force injuries. How absolutely awful. There was an 11-week investigation, and Indiana safety officials found that Amazon failed to ensure a workplace, quote, free from recognized hazards that were causing or likely to cause death. And so the company was fined $7,000 because that's the maximum in Indiana. And I know some people in Indiana, Indiana are like, why is this? Would you rather the fine $32 billion or would you rather the problem be fixed? Well, it's $7,000. They won't even have any reason to fix the problem. Well, now we're having a recall conversation. Do you do a recall or not do a recall on a vehicle based on the amount it's going to cost versus the amount of potential lawsuits, etc.? You're going to have a hard time hiring people if they keep uh, dying of blunt force trauma to the head because you don't fix how something works. You want to increase the fine because it'll get Amazon to do to 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 react faster. Interesting. It's an interesting idea. We don't think that Amazon or any other company would react because they don't want their employees dead. If we're saying that the dollar and the fine and, and, and the ability for the state to put punishment in, in this financial way is the real motivator. If we're saying that, well, where else do we apply this to? And what number would work? $112,000? Or is it because it's Amazon, $37 million? I just want to warn people who want to go down this road 
and say we have to increase the fines and that way the companies will learn. Are you increasing the fine based on what the company value is? What their profit margin is? Or are you basing it based on your own desire for revenge? I don't want this 20-year-old killed because he went to work. It's an awful story. But if you're now going to engage the idea that the fine has to be larger to get the company to respond, some fines will put some companies out of business. And if the fine now matches the company, you're saying that people who work in one company are worth more than people who work in another company. Just be careful going down this road. I'm Tony Katz. The question is, will the retail sales come? We have had Black Friday. We've had Small Business Saturday. We are in the middle of Cyber Monday. I did get the Ninja Creamy. That, that did happen. I, I've done some shopping, people. Got the, got the Creamy. Did that on, did I do that on Thursday? I think I did that on Thanksgiving Day. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything going on at TonyKatz.com. But okay, I bought one thing. And then I also bought some some local... Nope, I bought two things. I bought two things. We'll get into that. But how many people bought local? How many people didn't buy at all? The retailers have been signaling that this is going to be a softer holiday season. They have brought down in in mass level uh, their their predictions, their outlook, their forecasts. Some people, they, they've, they've got some ups, but most people see this as a rougher time. This holiday season will not be the big spending season. Did I say hello, Tony Katz, Tony Katz today? I think I did. I forget sometimes. Gary Dick, InsideIndianaBusiness.com, joins us right now. Find him on the Twitter box at IIB, at Gary Dick, G-E-R-R-Y, at Gary Dick. This is the question. Retailers have looked like they've been preparing for a bad holiday season. Uh, we've got Cyber Monday uh, today, which is all about the online shopping, but it was Black Friday, Small Business Saturday. Do we have any preliminary numbers? And are Indiana retailers still looking at this being a soft holiday season? Yeah, interesting the numbers, Tony, and you, you set it up uh, in the right way. I mean, I think there was a lot of anticipation with uh, where inflation is, and not just uh, you know the price of the pump, which is down, but but obviously uh, uh, from you know some very high numbers. Uh, but utilities, bills, consumer credit uh, is at an all-time high, so a lot of uh, kind of headwinds, if you will. But if you look at the national numbers, these preliminary numbers that came in, it showed a pretty good uh, uh, Black Friday a number, 182 million shoppers around the country. That's 16 million more than last year. And you mentioned online, you know, today, quote, unquote, Cyber Monday. Uh, it's really Cyber Friday, Cyber almost every day because the number of online sales, not the brick and mortar, but online sales on Friday, uh, nearly $10 billion, which is a, a record. And that number is supposed to be uh, up from that today on Cyber Monday. So the national narrative, what we're hearing uh, from pockets around the, uh, the country seems to be uh, seems to be positive, at least uh, uh, initially here. One thing we are seeing, and this relates perhaps to inflation and prices and those types of things, is uh, an increase in the um, buy now, pay later 
uh, deals uh, in stores and online. Consumers trying to get those goods, not perhaps ready to pay for it now and extending uh, extending that process. Yeah, that's a and that in and of itself is a massive issue that we can that that yep. some will attempt to downplay. I think that's got to be a front and center conversation. Just like when we see the amount of dollars being up. We haven't answered the question, and I'm waiting for this date as well. Maybe you have some of it. Is this because there was actually more buying or because the things to buy are still more expensive? I think there's a there's a there's a price issue, no question about it. And you, you hear uh, you heard of deals around the country, twenty percent off, forty percent off, all those types of things. But back to that whole buy now, pay later, you know, has some wondering. And with consumer debt where it is now, which is uh, very high. What does that uh, What does that bode for the start of 2024 as uh, as the bills come due and those those types of things? A lot of economists calling for uh, perhaps a, a slow start next year to the economy and then improving in the second half. But uh, but the numbers again, 54 uh, percent of online sales. I should mention to mobile devices, which I thought was interesting as well. So the focus of retailers uh, on those mobile device uh, uh, folks as opposed to desktops and underscores, uh, as you look at rural Indiana and some of these smaller communities, retailers in those small communities who have been hurt or over the years by uh, the uh, the rise and sometimes the fall of, uh, of uh, shopping malls, they've got to be online in order to compete. And those who aren't uh, really seem to be falling behind. Talking to Gary Dick from InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter at IIB. Uh, I'm, I stare. I, I, I pay attention. I have the conversations with you. I have the conversations with, with, with economists. And we have seen that outside, for example, in the world of apparel, outside of Abercrombie and Fitch, uh, apparel has been incredibly, incredibly soft. We have seen uh, major retailers from Best Buy uh, to, to, to others uh, cut uh, their forecast. Dick's Sporting Goods increased their forecast, but they were basing that on having less retail theft that really hurt them in, in the quarter prior. Am I wrong in the, in the feel that retailers going into this holiday season expected things to be pretty bad? No, I, I think there was, uh, I always hate to use the cautious optimism, but there was a little bit of that going on uh, uh, around the country. When you talk about some of the big-name retailers you talked about, and you talked about uh, things like theft, that, that we see the reports uh, of, of that around the country and the impact that's having on pricing, impact that's having on the bottom line of some of these big uh, big retailers from Target uh, you know, on down the line. So a number of factors uh, certainly at play, Tony, as we look at the uh, holiday shopping season. And the reason we put so much focus on, on it is for many retailers, you know, this can make or break their entire year, how this uh, how this time of year goes. So uh, we will see. Do you have, Are you ready to shop online today, Tony? Uh, I So I'm going to still try and do yeah. as much local as I can, I have not, the only thing I bought online. I bought the Ninja Creamy. It's an ice cream maker because my kid was oh. like, "We should make ice cream," and I'm like, "Well, I'm in for that," and I'm a sucker. So I, I did, I did purchase the Ninja Creamy Deluxe. So that was an online purchase from Kohl's. Everything else, okay. I'm trying to, I'm going to try and do to the best of, of my ability, local. Um, but I did, for example, uh, because we're 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 adding on uh, to the house. I bought a TV. And that I did actually do in-store. I did take advantage of that in-store, and it was not Chinese because 
I, I still love my country. Um, yeah, but- well, and, and electronics, Tony, the number one uh, selling item uh, over the weekend, uh, consumer electronics. So you were you were part of the uh, you were part of the big crowds uh, buying this weekend. Uh, also, I was also part of the big crowds buying cigars. I, but you know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm special like that. Uh, talking to Gary Dick inside IndianaBusiness.com on Twitter at IIB. Has there been um, anything in regarding Small Business Saturday? What how they have experienced uh, these years? This this I should say holiday season. Uh, because as we're discussing it, let let's say there's cautious optimism, and let's say that there is a little more spending because things do cost more. Does that mean that instead of, well, we can get this and then we can get these three other things. It was, no, 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 we can get this and we're not going to worry about the three other things. And so therefore they bought the TV, but they didn't do any of the local buying. Yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, Tony small business Saturday and that, that started, I think that was an American express thing actually in the beginning that has kind of uh, morphed into this, uh, this kind of event and a way to uh, celebrate or to support small business. No numbers that I've seen on that uh, yet. However, and you, as you mentioned it, you like to support local. I like to support uh, local. It's become an important deal uh, for shops and, and uh, mom and pop operations who again really depend on the Christmas holiday shopping uh, season for uh, to really make their year. No numbers on that uh, on that yet. No no indication as to what you're talking about in terms of you know buying one big thing, maybe laying off on on some others either. Before I, I let you go, um, uh, Gary Dick, uh, the what what is in your view, your people, your uh, compatriots. What is the big purchase of the year? What is the thing that someone's getting that would make everyone go, oh, that's that's what I wanted? Ah, you know, that's a good question. I, I, I tell you what, I, I think a, uh, a, a large consumer electronics device is in my, in, in my future for a purchase uh, for sure. Uh, and if you look at, uh, I don't know what kind of TV you got, but uh, the size and quality of the TVs and the pricing on it, uh, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty attractive. So I think, uh, some consumer electronics are, are in my future. I think that's the big purchase. I will also tell you, uh, in, in addition to the, uh, to the TV, uh, I did purchase a new humidor, uh, and, uh, from, from Case Elegance, which is, uh, uh, local, uh, humidor manufacturer here in, in, uh, in Indianapolis. Uh, I, uh, I will tell you, um, I, 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 I wrote the check. I wrote a pretty big check. For for the humidor, okay. this was yeah. um, this is ungodly. Yeah, that's, made, that's made here in 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 Indy. There's a the company, company is here in Indy. Uh, they 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 source uh, in in other places. Uh, sadly, yeah. sadly they 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 have to. But I tried to go as local as I could on making yeah. a, a a purchase on a humidor that would hold seventeen hundred cigars. Wow. Wow, See, some of us are playing a game, uh, Gary Deck, and some of us aren't. <laughs> that is out. That is very impressive, Tony. So, i i would I would hope it was impressive before that, but this was this 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 was my. You know, some people go to fantasy baseball camp. Uh, I'm not that guy. I yeah. I do this. You are stepping, but you are stepping up your game in a big way. That uh, that is impressive. I just think it's important that people recognize that I have game to begin with. I've got game, and it recognizes other game, as the kids say.
That's Gary Dick inside IndianaBusiness.com on Twitter at IIB. Gary, always appreciate it. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. You have heard me talk about the concepts of nihilism. Maybe it's, it's nihilism. Nihil- I think I pronounce it nihilism. Tony Katz. Tony Katz uh, today. Uh, I'm not talking about Big Lebowski style. I'm talking about the idea of nothingness being uh, extolled as a value. We see it in art. We see it in literature. We see it in 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 film. Uh, if we take a look at the latest Marvel movies, they're not about anything. They're not about good conquering evil. They're not about the the good guy finding a way to. To, to make it happen. It is about uh, the messaging. It is about the idea of look at all these wonderful either gay actors or trans actors or, that we've hired or characters that we've added that bring nothing to the film I- itself. Look at this uh, massive social construct problem that we've solved, but they haven't solved uh, anything. And we see it Time and again and and again, we see that Disney has failed epically with uh, environmental social governance uh, in investing. It hasn't worked for them. It hasn't worked for anybody. And then I come across this piece over at National Review by Noah Rothman. Media literacy is no antidote to the nihilism of the betrayed generation, which is a a very interesting concept talking about what what's happening with media but to call it nihilism i thought was was worthy of discussion noah rothman joins me right now he writes over at national review he's the author of the rise of the new puritans fighting back against the progressives war on fun find that at amazon.com wherever fine books are are sold you bring up a story out of california you bring up a story out of new york which involves the state trying to tell the rest of us, hey, we know the difference between what's real and what's not, and we're now going to teach you how to make that uh, differentiation for yourself. But you then relate those things, and I'm not in favor of those things, mind you, you relate them to this idea of where younger generations are. So from that perspective, what have New York and California done, and what brought you to this place? Yeah, so they've committed themselves to teaching at the K through 12 level in state schools, um, quote, quote unquote, media literacy, which is a buzzword. It's been around for a long time. It's supposedly designed to communicate to young people to convey to them how to consume media with a not just a skeptical eye, but um, an apprehension of what media is trying to relate information and what media is attempting to get you to do something, um, trying to get you to believe something, trying to get you to act in a certain way. Uh, it's an instrumental purpose. It's a utilitarian campaign. The problem is, is that they're attempting to address conditions that maybe they themselves contributed to, but their ideological allies most certainly created the conditions for. You talk to young people today, and about media and their conception of the world, and they're extreme skeptics. They don't really believe that much of anything can be known. Uh, it's not, and it has very little to do with technological innovations. I think, you know, there would be an instinct to say, well, you have these AI-generated fake images and fake videos, and so can't really blame them. Well, this trend predates uh, those technological innovations doesn't predate social media. Surely social media contributes dramatically. But back in 2018, 
uh, people under the age of 29 were telling Pew, Pew pollsters that, quote unquote, most people would try to take advantage of you, quote, most people can't be trusted. And there's a reason for that, I think. We spent a decade in, or more teaching young people that there's very little objective truth out there. Subjectivity is all that we can expect. You, my truth is as valid as anyone else's truth. And it's a truth that is gleaned and discerned from a consultation of your own demographic traits, your accidents of birth. Colleges and universities have been making activism a creditable enterprise for a long time without teaching them what they're supposed to know or what they're acting out for. The activism itself is supposed to be its own virtue uh, in, and in part a pursuit of subjective ideals. And we have a media environment that uh, has turned against objectivity in a very public way. The notion here that objectivity is even attainable is in doubt. And uh, a lot of credentialed reporters over this course of the last decade have been retailing this vision of moral clarity, something that should replace the standard of objectivity. Even if that's unattainable, it's, it's a corrupt pursuit because it compels you to lend equal weight and gravity to two different sides of a story when there is at times no, uh, no, rational, no rationalization for that. There's good and there's evil, and there are things that reporters are, are obliged to do for the betterment of society as a whole. So we've been creating these conditions in which the arbiters of truth, the stewards of these institutions that are supposed to promote objective empirical knowledge, have advocated that responsibility, told young people there's no such thing as objective empirical knowledge, and now we find a whole generation that is listless and desperate for some sort of mooring in the, because they've, they have none. So yes, they've, they've adopted a form of nihilism, the idea that nothing can be known, that nothing is is knowable and therefore nothing is worth protecting or preserving let me, let and a me, lot of them are being drawn now to things like radical islam in the pursuit of some sort of mooring and we're seeing that on social media to the extent that that is actually happening is is, is different but i, I want to take it back to this idea of moral clarity really quick before moving moving forward uh certainly we can see that within uh, today's press in the conversation regarding Israel, they, they cannot engage the idea that Hamas is a terrorist organization. That statement in and of itself uh, seems an impossibility for many uh, to, to engage. Certainly the Washington Post has proven, proven this, an inability to really state, hey, these people are just wrong. Even if you've got an issue with Israel, these people are clearly uh, wrong. Um, but we, we brought up this idea of moral clarity. You're not making the argument that moral clarity doesn't exist, are you? Well, I'm making the argument that it is not the job of institutions that are supposed to convey, uh, you know, point by point, fact by fact analysis of current events. Uh, journalists, uh, it's not their job to discern moral right from wrong when they're on the ground reporting on these things. Uh, that is. That is a, the mission that was devised, or divined rather, uh, by reporters like Wes Lowry at CBS News during, um, uh, in 2014, 2015, at the very beginning, the outset of the Black Lives Matter movement, um, which would compel reporters to uh, lard up uh, pieces about events on the ground with contextual analysis dating back decades, or perhaps even centuries, in order to create conditions that don't establish moral clarity, rather that obscure it. 
that ensure that the, the reader couldn't judge events on the ground uh, as those events themselves. They had to be incepted by occurrences that occurred de- generations ago. Um, that is not a de- pursuit of any sort of objectivity or clarity at all. It is designed to advance a particular political narrative. And I think young people are aware of that, particularly when it comes, and now to bring it back to this media literacy course, Kathy Hochul, governor of New York, was quick to say this is not a campaign to indoctrinate. But Governor Newsom in California um, located all the conspiracies that, that bedevil us from climate change denial to vaccine skepticism to 2020 election skepticism. It all exists on the right which exposes the political campaign, the utilitarian campaign at work here, the design at the university level, in journalism, and now at governmental levels. And, and you can forgive kids for picking up on this sort of thing, is to transform these young people into a vanguard. But that's where I want to take a militant it militant activists for their cause. That's and they I resent being used. Hold on a second, Noah. That's exactly where I want to take it from. Talking to Noah Rothman of National Review. Uh, check out his latest book, The Rise of the New Puritans, Fighting Back Against Progressives' War on Fun. Get that at Amazon.com or wherever fine books are sold. You are saying that when, when Kathy Hochul talks about uh, media misinformation and online hate, giving uh, young people the ability to determine digital fact from digital fiction. You talk about uh, Governor Gavin Newsom of California, and uh, you went through that laundry list. See, this is what the political right is doing to us. But you're giving this, it's not tacit, it is this very direct credit to younger generations because they see the difference. They see the issue. And and I was curious as to how you came to that. Is this your belief, this anecdotal? Is this data-driven? Uh, because we don't often see the younger generations getting credit for knowing, hey, this is a bunch of crap we're seeing over here. Well, no, I don't think anybody's out there saying these you know, people in whom I've invested so much trust who uh, I like and respect and care for are actively misleading me and I resent it. I don't think you're seeing that. might not see it for some time. But what you are seeing are people, young people, who are rejecting um, the, the idea of knowability broadly, not attributing that to the people who have misled them just yet. That is a profound psychological betrayal and probably an obstacle. But what they are saying is that, well, I can't really believe you because I can't believe anybody. Um, that's that's sort of a safer harbor psychologically, um, but it's it probably predates or rather uh, uh, precedes a broader acknowledgement uh, of the fact that these young people have been turned into a utility by a utilitarian campaign. I mean, it's a really it's a modest protest against their misuse to just reject everything broadly. So, I, I, you know, I'm not signing up to be, you know, a right winger here. But I'm not necessarily on your team either because nothing can be known and nothing is knowable and we live in a sea of existential doubt. Um, that, that's sort of a, the precursor to a broader rebellion against a campaign that's designed to turn these young people into tools to advance a political cause. When someone is, whether you want to engage it historically or just engage it anecdotally, when someone feels that 
not necessarily that they are lost that there is nothing to to grab onto as a as a standard they'll search for anything as you discussed and uh there has been this social media conversation about people pushing towards towards islam as something to to grab onto although i i don't see it uh and uh, any data on that but you look at something as you're you're sharing it and sharing some of the data points and you're like there's an opportunity here there seems to be an opportunity here for that level of mooring. Is this opportunity political? Is this opportunity religious? Is this opportunity educational? Where do you see it? Well, I wouldn't say the remedy to the misuse and betrayal of young people is to do the exact same thing from the other side. Uh, I certainly wouldn't say, well, here's a chance that we have to say, well, everything you've been taught is wrong, and here's why you should hate all these people around you and uh, adopt these, this set of precepts, which conflicts with that set of precepts. Uh, I don't think that's right. What young people have, the, the source of the betrayal here is that young people have been not taught how to learn, but rather what to think. And that has become hard to avoid acknowledging, and it is a source of some resentment. Educational experiences at the pre-graduate level, from high school to even undergrad, should be an, an exercise in learning how to navigate informational environments, which is what this media literacy campaign is supposed to do. But we always knew how to do that. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. The educational experience should be the discovery of information and how to understand information, how to compartmentalize information, how to read information. It is studying how to learn, not coming up with conclusions and working backwards. We abandoned that when we imported the critical theories experiment from the highest level of collegiate uh, academia and imposed it on far lower levels down into the 12 K through 12 area, theoretical constructs. That's not how you learn. That is how you indoctrinate. You encounter these theoretical constructs after you've got the basics down, after you understand the contours of a, of a debate, of a historical experience, of a scientific process. Only then do you begin to critically deconstruct it once you've got your hands around the thing. We work backwards. We started from critical deconstruction before we even get the basic facts down. So you have a generation now that has been, that has been getting it backwards for 15 years or so with the understanding that nothing is knowable, nothing can be as concrete, everything can be broken down to its atomic level. And deconstructed to the point where it doesn't resemble anything sound or durable. And so, yeah, you have a generation that doesn't understand how to learn. So what these media literacy campaigns are designed to do is to reverse a trend that they can't acknowledge because it comes from their own side and they can't really address because the institutional obstacles against them, political obstacles, institutional obstacles, just alliance structure obstacles are too profound. So Democrats have a real problem on their hands, and they acknowledge it. I think this is a sincere, genuine concern on their part. But they I, have no way to address it because they created the problem themselves. Yeah, except I would, I would argue that we're the ones who have a problem on our hands. This, is, this, goes, this goes very far beyond uh, the, the politics uh, and, and elections and goes to the very idea of what they would elect to begin with, as I, I think we could, we could engage uh, to a level historically. When, when people feel that they're, they have nothing, they'll, they'll search for anything, and very often that anything 
is pretty bad for everyone. That's a conversation for another day. Noah Rothman from National Review, his latest book, The Rise of the New Puritans, Fighting Back Against Progressives' War on Fun, available at Amazon.com, where refined books are sold. Noah, thank you. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Keep our eyes on the hostage situation. Who is Hamas returning? Are they doing it on time? Look, I I will tell you again, I don't like any part of the ceasefire at all. Ceasefire gives opportunity for Hamas to regroup and continue attacks, and that's exactly what they're going to do. And if you take a look at the so-called protesters, the free Palestine protesters in the U.S., they've admitted it. The cat's out of the bag. Of course they're not in favor of a free Palestine. They don't even know what that means. They're in favor of the destruction of Israel. We know this to be true, and we're keeping our eyes on what's happening in Israel with Hamas and what's happening in the United States with these Hamas sympathizers. Tony Katz, great to be with you, Tony Katz, today. But I'm keeping an eye on this story out of China. Mysterious pneumonia ripping through Chinese schools sparks fears among scientists of a COVID repeat. That was Daily Mail. That was over the weekend. Uh, you've got hundreds of people overwhelmed with, uh, or I should say hospitals are overwhelmed with hundreds of sick children, unusual symptoms that include inflammation in the lungs and a high fever, but no cough. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to keep an eye on that. Do I think it means that we're in for a lot of issues? I don't know yet. It's China. You don't know what to believe. Let's see if this early reporting gets us data that can actually be helpful and let's make sure we stop Chinese travel until we know for sure. Find everything at TonyCats.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.